Hello and welcome to Path to Power, Episode 3. I'm Matt Cooper. And I'm Ivan Yates. And today we're going to talk about how the green agenda might affect votes in both urban and rural Ireland and whether uh, Labour and the Social Democrats need two to become one. I also want to talk about the late Eddie O'Connor, a businessman who died last week but who was so influential in public policy. But we're going to start with how to deal with immigration in a week in which we've seen more protests against the housing of those seeking refuge or asylum or international protection. And of course, which is becoming a very important political issue, particularly at local level and one which will greatly influence candidates who I feel will be elected at local European elections as well as in the new Dáil. You know, as I said last week, I think in offering a refuge to Ireland to foreigners who are escaping war and oppression is an important thing for us to do. But I also believe that if you invite somebody into your home, you should have a bed for them, or at worst a couch, that you shouldn't be sending them out to a tent in the back garden. And I also believe that Ireland isn't full, as many would have it, because the latest census shows we have 1.2 million empty rooms across the country, and that we have the capacity to help. The problem, Ivan, I think, is that we don't seem to have the ability to organise ourselves properly to offer it. And I don't want to say things here that would support those who are clearly racist or xenophobic in their comments and actions. They're anarchists, really, who just want to stir trouble while claiming to be, heaven help us, patriots. Well, the politics of this fascinates me. And uh, since we last spoke, we had the Ireland Thinks Sunday Independent poll. And people were asked, what are the top two issues as we face into all these elections? And right up there in third place, 26% was migration. So I've no doubt that is rising and it's going to be a potent issue. Leo said, no one gets to decide who lives beside you. Sorry, Leo. The entire planning system, judicial reviews on board planola objections, uh, objections to part five social housing is predicated on people in, in, in middle class areas objecting to who's beside oh, hang them. Hang on a second. No, I wouldn't necessarily fully agree with that because, you know, you can't dictate, you know, the house next door to me has just been bought. I have had no say in who has bought that house or what is actually going to be done with it because it's in flats. It might be left in flats refurbished or it might be a family takes it over. I have no idea who's bought it. I have no say in who my new next door neighbour is going to be. Yes, people can object in the planning process, but that doesn't mean that their objections will be taken. Okay, well, we can't do anything because of that. Now, actually, I have a major bugbear about people objecting in this Mm. country. And this was a big part of my book, Who Really Owns Ireland, as well. The whole number of cases throughout the country, and this is before we ever talk about immigration, but we talk about housing or we talk about other things that are required to make for a better society. And my God, the amount of, well, it's only a small number of people who can put up objections who stop things happening, things that we actually need to do. And in some cases, you get busybodies who just are against the idea of change. And the thing that really bugs me as well at the moment about an awful lot of the objections uh, to the, the immigrants been put into disused hotels, derelict hotels, or not quite derelict, but that can be put back into use quite quickly, that might have been closed for 10, 12 years. Well, why not have them, good buildings, properly functioning for use in humanity? Okay. And yet people object to that. Well, the flashpoint over the weekend was Ballinrobe. So let me, let me just explain my relationship with Ballinrobe. When I was 10 years of age, my father bought a cottage in Gortmore overlooking Loch Mask. 
uh, near Trumakidi, the nearest town is Ballinrobe in 1970 for 500 euros. So every family holiday I've gone in, I've gone to Ballinrobe. A, a little interesting story. Sorry, so and you still do, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I rent a different cottage and, and, and so on. Every year my kids the same uh, and so on. And it is beautiful. The people there are the salt of the earth. Big bakery, one of the biggest bakeries in the country making bread was there. They have the lock mask festivals, the world fly fishing competition. And they also have a racetrack and a little vignette about that. When I was Minister for Agriculture in 1995, uh, the senior civil servants and HRI, Dennis Brosnan, handed me a file. We had to close six tracks. And I said to myself, not on my watch. And the secretary of the department said, no, uh, the way for the other 21 tracks to survive is to do this. So what did I see? I saw Navin was on the list. And I rang up John Bruton. And you know, Navin is in his backdoor Meath constituency. He said, John, I said, there's something shocking here I have to bring to your attention. Uh, they're planning in your watch to close Navin Racecourse. And it's a, a HRI own track. He immediately issued a dictat that Navin could not be closed and therefore Ballinrobe couldn't be closed. And that was the end of the entire matter. So uh, there, there are ways and means again, though. So but you Ball- saved the racetrack in Ballinrobe, n- a stroke, an old fashioned stroke. It has gone on to flourish. Every single race is the only track in the country. Every single race has a local sponsorship. But what I'm going to tell you is this. Last summer and recent summers, the main street, and you have the Valkenberg and you have JJ's are there, has been tumbleweed. Even the charity shops have closed. Even the bookies have closed bar one and it's gone downhill. The pubs, you know, I, I watch on my way into Gold Race to Goodwood Race. There's no pub open. It's actually, and it was a thriving town. And the way people feel is they have had no political support for industry, for development, for public investment. And then they see themselves as a dumping ground for social problems such as migrants. And, and I think I want to be clear about this. I think that that every time Leo opens his mouth, he's losing votes on this issue, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But like this week... Sorry, hold on, Ivan. Doesn't a place like Ballinrobe then need repopulation? That if you bring people into the area, even if it's immigrants coming into the area, that that creates activity. And if you create activity, that that will actually help the revitalization of the town. Or else, I mean, there's a wider conversation as to whether rural Ireland and towns like that are really feasible as people move into bigger cities, which is an international trend. And that's probably a conversation for another day. But is it not a good thing that you get more people living rather than everyone leaving the place? And in 20 years' time, that may well be the outcome of this. And I have an open mind on that. But... The school, the GP services and other facilities. And, you know, the particular focal point was Councillor Michael Burke, local Fine Gael councillor, that there was going to be 50 males. The question is, what would they do all day? Now, I don't know whether the position was changed to families or not, but that is seen to be true. But let's be clear. Do as I say or do as I do. This week, the cabinet, the first decision they took of the new year was to cut from 232 euros a week to 38 euros 80 cent. That's a whopping cut for every Ukrainian. And every new Ukrainian that arrives after 90 days, they're no longer entitled to state accommodation. Yeah, so it's a so, sneaky backdoor way of effectively it's, putting it's, it's up a barrier. It's accepting reality. 
it's accepting reality that we cannot with that that Ireland is full. And so, well, no, no, Ireland is not full. Sorry, this is something we can't actually start using phrases like that, which play to a far right agenda. Ireland is not full. As I said a little bit earlier, we have 1.2 million empty rooms in the country. That was established by the census. We have empty houses all over the country. And if you say, okay, they're private property, they can't be used. Okay. But you have all sorts of places that could be used for people who have been living here for many years, who are struggling to get accommodation, and you have for people who are coming into the country. We have all sorts of state buildings which could be very easily repurposed with a little bit of will and a little bit of imagination. Ireland is not full. Well, would you it accept has the, the Killarney's capacity. full? For four and a half thousand Ukrainians, I was 700. In, I was in Killarney would you last say, week. Okay. Right? I was in Killarney full? last okay. weekend. No, I wouldn't say. And Killarney was actually looked like a thriving town as I was going on. But I did talk to a few people around this. And some of them made the interesting suggestion at St. Finian's Hospital, which has been closed down, that that should have been used instead of taking functioning hotels and putting people into that. And I can understand that position. And the argument was been made to me as well, is that if you don't have these hotels available for the tourist trade, okay, the hotels are happy enough because they have a guaranteed income coming in from the state for the provision of services in the hotels. But then those people don't necessarily have the money to be spending in the pubs and restaurants and cafes. And there is a knock-on multiplier effect into the economy. I get that. I understand that. And I would suggest that, you know, there are probably locations like St. Finian's Hospital in Killarney, which could have been used to take a large number of people. And that there has been a failure of the state over the last decade or so in failing to plan for this. We have been having this discussion about international migration for the last 10, 15 years. No, I remember there, back in Nora Owens. Days yeah, Minister, just, but, but hold on but a second. No, let me what ask we failed to question. do is we failed to build let me ask you a particular question. reception centres. Since, since the Ukrainian war kicked off, between that and international provision, we've taken in 140,000 between February two years ago and this February. Can we take another quarter of a million? Like, where do you draw the line? Well, hold on. We're going to be taking lots of more people. And, you know, we have at the moment, there's, what, 40,000 visas out for international workers to come into the country. And they're all going to be looking for accommodation as well. But we need them for all sorts of jobs. You know, right. And this thing, you know, we, we can't start differentiating in relation to foreign people coming in. You know, the, the economy, the reason that we have the burgeoning tax revenues are present. Permits, absolutely work essential. permits and international investment coming into the country. So do we suddenly want to turn around and say, well, we want to take well, all this foreign money in. Well, I'd rather have them than criminals, but the final what point... What do you mean criminals? Hold on no, no, a second. No, hang on. No, that's, you see, that's a really dangerous use of language to assume that people who are coming seeking protection well, do you from think war people, are criminals. Well, do you, well, sorry, some people, we don't have any records of them. Are you saying that someone who does have, we'll just say, a criminal record should be let in? Hold on. You see, that's an overly simplistic... That's a question. It is a question, but I'll tell you what it is, right? It's going to be, unfortunately, yes, when anyone comes into the country, they may have criminal records. Tourists coming in from the weekend from Britain might have criminal records. People coming to us from the European Europe, Union and are free who are freedom come, movement, yes. like Irish criminals have gone overseas. And I think we need to be really worried okay. about some of the language. No, sorry, I'm going to finish this point. <laughs> okay. Some of the language that we're using about young men and this sort of stuff about being unvetted and military 
military age. How would we feel about the many Irishmen and who have over the years emigrated to other countries that when they were going to America and Britain in the 1980s and beyond, if they were been local, you can't trust them. They're unvetted. They're of military age. And there's something else. They also come up with these lines of that. These people from foreign countries don't have the same respect for women that we have in Ireland. Ah, uh, will you give us a break? No, when you look at all the... Fa- and you're, I ask, sorry, you're now saying things I didn't say. But no, hold on, I'm, not, I'm not saying you said, but I'm saying what these... some. Okay. If you say things like okay. Ireland are full and if you say things like criminals, you do give sucker to this mob. Okay. Well, let me, small mob, but who are okay, there let, saying let me, very let, dangerous let things about people. Let me the final word on this topic because we're going to talk about other things. In the same poll, in the same poll, the question was asked, do you feel there's been an unfair distribution of the accommodation for asylum seekers, refugees? Uh, in other words, too much in working class areas, not in leafy Ranala or whatever, or uh, do you, uh, in rural Ireland? And 57% said yes. The Pendulum Summit was on this year. About eight years ago, I went to the Pendulum Summit. Frankie invited me as a guest. It's Frankie Sheehan, the yes, organizer. Yes. And, yeah. the, and, and this guy from Texas got up. And he said, you know what the secret formula to success is, whether you're in politics, whether you're in business, whether you're starting a new service. And he says, very simple. Find out what the people want and give it to them. 57% have spoken. Okay. I don't know why you made reference to Leafy Ranla, because that's not where I live. <laughs> anyway, I live elsewhere in Dublin 6, which would have a very high population the of same people abuse from other countries. The same abuse can be said of that whole area. Okay. <laughs> I, I, when I go walking the dog every morning, the amount of foreign accents that I hear in different languages when spoken is great. Uh, there's lots of people from all different backgrounds in the area in which I live. Look, the issue here in this country is everyone wants something to be dealt with somewhere else. It's like mm-hmm. the whole same thing about new housing. They want new housing, they don't want to build near where they live. They want to build somewhere else. It's the same when it comes to housing immigrants. But if you demonise everyone who disagrees with you, I'm not and like Leo, no, and Leo, and if you bully them, you will, you will pay a price politically. Yeah, well that's true politically perhaps, but the point I was making is I walked down here today uh, to the studio where we're recording this, which is in Dublin 4, yeah, and I, I passed the new centre, the former nursing home besides St. Conlet School, which is turned into and has now been occupied by people coming in. And that's great. And I think there should be many more places in Dublin 4. I mentioned it before. It has now been purchased for use as the new US embassy in Balls Bridge, the former Jury's Hotel. I think that should have been used for the last year and a half. I think it should still be used while they're going through the planning to get the new uh, US embassy planned over the next year or two. And there are many other locations such as that which should be used as well as those in inner city Dublin or in rural Ireland and whatever. But, um, I've given you a fair run in your soapbox now. Oh, sorry, there is one other thing. There's one <laughs> oh, other sorry, thing. The, the pulpit, Ballon, the pulpit sorry, is still on. open, is it? There is one issue that the ball and robe thing is thrown up, and it's become a carlo as well. And that now is the decision that it has to be only families who are allowed into these centres. And, okay, I can understand why people think there's a bit more degree of safety in relation to families and stuff like that. But we have to be careful. Where are the young men going to go? And often young men are the ones who have to escape the war-torn areas because they're at more danger of being killed than women and children. And we cannot make assumptions that they are bad people. There will be some bad people amongst them, just like there are bad people amongst our native Irish population. So are we going to talk about uh, the Green Agenda? Are we going to talk about not? the Sock Dems? Well, it's actually, I suppose the link is when you think about it, um, you know, the, the immigration issue has given some of these rural independent TDs in particular a new stick 
with which to go and beat people and beat the government. Up until now, it's been very much been the Greens. And mm-hmm. I've been fascinated watching over the last year the sort of the vitriol that the a lot of the independents throw at the Greens in the Doyle. Uh, the Healy Rays were big, a big thing, you know, they're going to determine to destroy the, the Greens down in the entire yeah. country. And they seem to think this is a way to sort of ratchet up their support. And then you get this new lot, the Independent Ireland, which mm. is the new party. Michal Collins and Richard O'Donoghue did a big interview for the, uh, our, the, Mail, the Irish Daily Mail last weekend, which I thought was very interesting in their ambitions. I think they think they might get Michael Fitzmaurice to join and they might get more. And I'd be very interested to see what sort of rhetoric they use, because this goes to what you said earlier a little bit, that you think that there's going to be an awful lot of candidates like this who will win seats, local, European and general election, or defend their seats. That that same poll showed the biggest increase in support. Sinn Féin were up a bit, having mended their hand on migration politically, uh, were independents. And even in Dublin, they were up to 30%. They were as big as any party. So, what are the prospects of a new political party? Well, first of all, uh, the PDs were a real success story. But you had, they were a split off from Fianna Fáil originally, an anti-Hohi faction. It had, you know, the statesman that was Des O'Malley, Mary Harney. They had really big names, Michael McDowell. Sorry, can I just say, you were around in politics yeah. at that time in the 1980s. Did they not also siphon off people from Fine Gael? They did. Or, and, and not Michael just, Keating yeah, was the most notable. Yeah, but, but it's not just actually the people, the elected people. They actually siphoned off who might have been natural Fine Gael voters. Michael McDowell was the perfect example of that. They certainly siphoned off, I think, more support from FG than they did from Fianna Fáil. So, first of all, the financing of political parties. So if you're starting, if we're starting a new political party in the morning, we have to get staff. Basically, it costs 30 grand for every Dáil candidate election on the ground, on the ground war, and it costs as much again per candidate. So if you want to get 10 seats, you, you know, there's no change out of a million euros. So but hang on, don't they have the advantage that a lot of them are already in the Dáil because, and they're already drawing down we're, a lot we're, of the resources like provided the, the from that? First of all, the new financing system for politics absolutely screws and excludes newcomers insofar as you can only get the money retrospectively, you can't get anything in advance. Uh, and, and, and therefore, the most amount of money you can give to someone without raising questions is two grand, uh, two grand to a party and 200 for an individual, which is buttons, right? So therefore, and the PDs did raise a lot of money. Subsequently, we had Renua. First of all, it became an anti-abortion party. It didn't connect. God, who remembers Renua? Yeah, Lucinda Lucinda Creighton. And she she had a face. So the first thing I'm going to say is, if this is a farmer's party, it has absolutely no chance. The number, if you take 73 when we, 74 when we joined Europe, 94, 74, 94 to the 2024. Basically, the number of farmers have, in Europe has gone from about 30 million to about 9 million. And the, the very same. The one thing politicians are very good at is counting. They can count, headcount votes. Yeah. And they, they, so therefore, there was a time, even in my day, that the Minister for Agriculture of the day was half afraid of the IFA. And I'm going to tell you... Are you se- afraid of them? No, no. I, 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 well, but I worked with them. Uh, I, I did a charm <laughs> offensive with them. Uh, but the, 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 the point is this. A seminal moment arrived in Irish politics that told me that the agricultural community and basing a party on this just won't work. In 2021, we had a second stage vote on the new Climate Act. And the farmers' organisations lobbied intensively against this. And the scores on the doors were 121 to 12 against. Every single TD from all the parties, Sinn Féin, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Labour, voted 
against the farmers' interests. And the only people that voted for him were the Richard Donoghue's, the Michael Collins, the Healy Rays. And that is a cul-de-sac because it shows you're not close to power. So for me, it would be a disaster for agriculture to ghettoize the politics of agriculture. Okay, and two things in that though. I think they're looking at the experience in the, in the Dutch elections a yeah. couple of years back when suddenly this new party came from nowhere based on farmers' rights and whatever. And I suppose the second thing that they're looking at as well is that, and this is where they may be making a big mistake, is that even if they were to sort of cleanse politics of the Green Party, which seems to be the ambition of the Healy Rays and others, and there are objectors to the Greens in urban centres as well as rural, when we Mm. get to that in a moment, it doesn't actually matter. Even if the Greens weren't there, I think all of these things are going to happen because we're bound by the climate change targets for 2030, reduction in our greenhouse gas emissions by 51%. It's in law and it's required of us by Europe. And no matter how many these crowd might kick up against what Europe is doing to us, the reality is... This is what's going to happen. Well, I, I think that's that's the key point about sustainability and green politics. I think something very, very interesting happened. I call it three black swan events. Uh, Brexit, uh, which actually came into effect January 20, was voted for in 16. And everyone focuses on impact on the UK, trade, jobs and all that. But actually, there was a vocal Eurosceptic audience in, in right across the continent it disappeared. No one wants to be like the Brits. When it came to COVID, what, even a country like Germany or Britain, 60 million people, what a country of 360 million people could do for PPE and for vaccinations meant there was a flight uh, to the centre. And when the Russian tanks on the 24th of February rolled in to eastern Ukraine, people said, not just about the price of gas, they said, who's going to defend us in Ireland if they put off a bomb in the Atlantic, uh, the Russians? All of these things meant the only show in town is Brussels. And when you go to Brussels, there's only one thing that they want to be world number one in, and that is sustainability. You take, in February, there's going to be a new thing. For every plastic bottle you buy, you know, you'll pay an extra 15 cent. And I've seen these machines that do it. They crush them and it recycles it and and you get your token and your 15 cent back and so on. Where are they made? In the Nordic countries and in Germany. There's a smart thinking behind it, not just this hard yards of all this extra cost of compliance, sustainability finance directive, uh, sustainable reporting directive, all which is going to become a national law. They want to sell this technology to Asia, to the US, and it's quite smart but you thinking. Know, this is what the, the Greens will get blamed for this when that comes in on the 1st of February. There's going to be a couple of things that are going to really annoy people in that. Already people are complaining, well, you know you won't be able to crush your can before you bring it back or your plastic bottle because then it won't be able to read the barcode on it so you won't get your refund. So I know you love crushing your cans after you're supping your tins of Stella Artois or whatever <laughs> Guinness, it is Guinness. at home in the evenings. <laughs> yeah. You know the draft Guinness. It's quite good now. <laughs> but, and it's not the zero zero stuff, I can assure you. So be, be sure that you protect your can because when you bring it back, you'll have to be able to scan it. The other part, so people are going to complain bitterly about that. I'm not getting all my money back. Also, these machines are going to be expensive to put in. A lot of small retailers are going to be very annoyed because people will be going back to their Aldis and Lidl's and Tesco's and Dunn's and Mm. whatever and stuff to return their empty plastic containers or their, uh, their, their cans and the smaller operators. And people are just going to give out. And a lot of people are going to give out. It's like the plastic tax and the green bin. People get used to it. They get used to it. Suck it up. Get over it. But 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 they blame the No, no, but the point I'm trying to make is this. Whether every single 
climate action plan and the new 500-page report is there is not achieved by 2030. If the Green Party is decimated and an effigy of uh, Eamon Ryan is burnt and he's never seen again, this is an irreversible... And I, I do work with the motor industry. I predict at some point, I don't know whether it'll be 2055 or 2085, there will be no such thing as the internal combustion engine. To 2035, let's stop manufacturing them in 2035, I No, it's not just cars, but I mean right across the board, it will all be replaced by electrical equivalents. Oh yeah, I think it's going to be way ahead of the thing. I mean, I said there will be no more internal combustion engine cars built but, but, and, and you know, sold the biggest, in Europe the biggest hypocrisy of all this... So the idea is we electrify transport, we, el- we take out the boilers in buildings and we put in heat pumps. And you know, the electricity provided is all coming from Money Point, had to be reopened and it's burning coal. Well, uh, were, so my point is this, did you know that onboard Planola and this great government we have, have actually ensured that no wind farmers got planning permission in the last year? And we are, we, so we're on 34%, which is a great achievement. And we'll come on to Eddie O'Connor later. But the fact of the matter is, we are not going to have offshore wind till 2035. And therefore, in the interim, we need onshore wind and the government is actually frustrating it. We'll come back to that because I have a lot of views on that as well. But just a little bit more in relation to the Greens and their position. And they will be the target in rural Ireland. I think they're also going to be the target in urban Ireland because there's going to be lots of people given out about not wanting increased buses around Dublin if that impacts on their ability to drive their car. And we've a real chicken and egg situation here in relation to how do we have enough public transport on the streets if there isn't space for the buses? Do you want to deny people the right to be in their cars when they say they need to be in the cars because they don't have the public transport available to them? But I just wonder, you know... But be fair, a bus carries 56 people, a car usually has one person. Yeah, exactly. It's a no-brainer. I just wonder, is that for all of the people who give out about the Greens, is that all the Greens need is to persuade 5 to 10% of people that their policies are the one that works, and that saves them maybe in the local, European and general election? I, I think the history of the Green Party here and elsewhere is that it's cyclical. They do well until they get into government, and then they are seen as the mudguard, they're seen to be ineffective, and they still have the same cohort of zealots, but they lose the kind of soft underbelly of middle-class kind of support. And, and obviously, that leads us into the Sock Dems and the Labour Party. Yeah, but sir, just even before we go to the Sock Dems and the Labour Party, would you have some sympathy as a former Minister for Agriculture? You were a small farmer as well yourself at one oh, stage. Oh, I still do a little bit of farming. Yeah. Carry on, yeah? Okay, you might, I might surprise There's you. There's no money in farming. Unless you're one of the 16,000 dairy farmers on which you, you could make a six-figure salary. Okay, well, a lot of them would argue as well that they're not getting a fair price from the retailers. And again, I might have a degree of sympathy with them. But I do wonder if perhaps there is a danger that we are expecting a little bit too much of the agriculture sector. Now, I know it produces more than one third of our greenhouse gas emissions. But partly of that is down to the fact that we don't have really heavily emitting industry in this country mm-hmm. like they have across Europe. So the figures Same are maybe, New Zealand, yeah. the figures yeah. are a little bit distorted like that. Uh, so... Yes, the reduction they're required to bring in, 25% reduction in emissions between now and 2030, is less of a target than we have for transport and various mm. other sectors. So you can say they no, may be and, let and, off. And, and, but, and, but the point is, is that, you know, they do actually, Ireland has a better way of producing dairy products than other countries. It's and not are, factory farming. Yeah, yeah. Are, we not cut, grass, yeah. are we not cutting off our nose to spite well, our faces? If we start reducing our output at a time when we allow other countries that don't sign up to climate change, change measures who have less efficient uh, carbon producing 
ways of farming to benefit well, at our expense. Well, we'll put it like this. Some of this, and Chagas has done an enormous amount of work, they have a thing called the Mac curve, which sets out how we'll achieve it. Well, first of all, water quality is a huge issue. This nitrates directive, like the truth of it is, Nitrates, chemical fertilizer, even granulated urea is, is actually very expensive. So obviously you're looking at changes there, better and um, different use of slurry. Uh, you're talking about genetics where the first calf of a heifer will be at a younger age. They slaughter the animals earlier. So you can at actually, two years instead yeah, exactly, of three. Exactly. And all of these things, a lot of work, the genetics on that and so on. But the key question is, like KPMG did a report on this, if you did all the smart agriculture, you reduce emissions by 14%. To get to the rest, you're faced with the hard question of whether you reduce the national herd or not. And that's where push comes to shove. And that will be absolutely resisted by the dairy sector. It's interesting you bring up nitrous because this brings us on to Holly Kearns and Social Democrats and then Labour because Holly Kearns gave one interview over Christmas in which she pointed out that the opposition political parties are not being honest with the farmers in the way they're talking about nitrates. These directives are in place from the European Union. The changes are going to have to be made. And, you know, I know as a politician, you always believe in telling people what they want to hear. But the reality is, just like the entire green agenda, this change is happening no matter how much farmers complain or how much certain politicians pander to their complaints. Yeah, and and the nitrates directive is law now. It's about 30 20, 30 kilograms of less nitrogen that you can legally put on per hectare and they have a way of measuring it now. But like, let's be clear, this is really for the dairy farmers. The stocking rates and so on amongst the dry stock farmers don't justify it. I'm interested that, that Holly has taken this in agriculture. Why wouldn't she? She's a farmer herself. Yeah. She right. comes from rural... I mean, it's quite brave of her because despite the fact that she's a party leader, I think she has work to do possibly to defend her seat yeah, absolutely. in Cork South West. Michael Collins will completely, whether the new party or not, he will completely outpour her. Yeah. No, no, they're Fianna both, Fianna they're both in the joint of Fianna 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 I think, will get a seat. They have a seat uh, there yeah, already. Christy, Christy is there. Uh, and Fianna Fáil, Tim Lombard, lost that seat and he's now in the Senate. Like, this is the home of Michael Collins. You know, this is this is blue blood territory for I the blue shirts. It's a terrible thing to say about Cork, but of the 20 seats in Cork County last year, or the last election, Holly Kearns was the only woman to wear and win one of the seats of the 20 in Cork. Right, yeah. Well, that that's a reflection <laughs> on, on where things are at. But it's interesting, in the last few weeks, a kite was flown. Uh, mostly by Labour people. And Brendan Howland alluded to this last year. Oh, why not do a merger of the Sock Dems and Labour? And interestingly this, because I, I, I was in a cabinet which ultimately led to Sinn Féin, the Workers' Party, the Workers' Party, Prince de Rossa, Pat Rabbit, became Democratic D- left. DL. And DL did merge with Labour. So and, then, and then became less than the sum of the parts. Well, yeah, well, put it like this. So, at, at the moment, they've each about six or seven TDs. The truth is, there is zero prospect of a merger this side of a general election. Maybe within 10 years, because I used to always say about Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, as far back as 2010, there wasn't a cigarette paper between them. The only thing that stands between Labour and the Sock Dems is that Roisin and Catherine were, for, were, were either left the Labour Party or kicked out of the Labour Party. And therefore they're not, you know, a dog doesn't return to their vomit. And the fact <laughs> of the matter is... That Could you not have put that <laughs> a different way? Well, I'm trying to be clear about it. So there is Sorry, no, no chance of that. I, I laughed when 
one I saw, um, there was a suggestion from the Labour Party that there are no ideological differences. And Holly Kern said, oh, yes, there are. There, there are, are none. There, there are, are none. none. It's personalities. And, it's and personalities and, and positions. One has been in government and the other hasn't. Well, you know, it's, even, it's more the future rather than the past as well, because it's like, who would be the leader? Would so, it be Holly Kearns or would it be Ivana Bacic? Well, they've had co-leaders before. No, I would say, and, and, and also there's the difficulty, the Labour Party always boasts the fact that they're the oldest party in Ireland. I don't think, you know, they're really offering a reverse takeover by Labour of Sock Dems. It ain't going to happen. But if Sinn Féin is 20 seats short and there are 15 seats between Sock Dems and Labour and another group of uh, left-wing parties, would they go together? Maybe. Is Labour relevant anymore, I wonder? Because, I mean, it's not that long ago, 2011 general election, at one stage they thought Eamon Gilmore for Taoiseach. And they saw themselves as being the biggest party or been an equal partnership in 2011. 2011 yeah. And it didn't work out for them. These Austerity killed them. Well, no, even the, the, the actual, water rates sorry, and all but that. Even before that, they didn't get the votes in the 2011 election that they thought they were going to get. They got, I think, not sure. Yeah, Fine Gael cannibalised some of yeah. that. It was an anti-Fina false sentiment. An but it didn't, it didn't move to Labour. And I suppose that actually is interesting as well when you look at what might happen with Sinn Féin this year because I think Sinn Féin has possibly taken a lot of that Labour vote of the time. Well, but if you look at Ivana Bacic's vote in the only election we've had since 2020, the by-election, in fact, your, your constituents, yes. It's all middle class, nearly. Like, it's not. Uh, well, it's there's not. a bit in Ring's End, but other than that, I mean, it's nearly all middle. Are you in denial that you're middle no, class? No, For no, heaven's no. sake, get a grip, man. No, I just think <laughs> we've it, got to be honest with the people. It's a little bit more varied than you actually Sorry, think. The, on the Labour Party, the same old thing is happening again. There are two highest profile TDs, to a great extent, uh, Sean Sherlock, not standing. Ma- the redraw of the constituency. Ma- Brendan Howland, former leader of the Labour Party, multiple cabinet minister, not standing. They will find it extremely hard to hold those seats in the same way that Evan would be affected. But the one to watch, and he texted me the other day, Alan Kelly. Is Alan Kelly going to stand in the new constituency because he's in Nina in North Tipperary? Is he going to stand in Ireland South? Because Ivana's saying, please, 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 pretty please do stand in Ireland South. And of course, he was ousted by Ivana. He has them dangling on a string and say, well, of course, you know, has, has Declan set up a new business? Said uh, his brother, Declan Kelly. Yeah. So, you know, he could, he could pivot out of politics and he's playing them on a string at the moment. And what but, would you advise to Alan Kelly? Oh, I'll put it like this. Because I presume the text was looking for your no, no, insight. No, it was actually a text so. complimenting me how much I, he enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> but the, the point about it is this, that uh, first of all, uh, the point I'm making is, if you want, I think he's the only, maybe Jed Nash, if because Fergus O'Dowd has stepped down, but I don't see any safe Labour seat unless Alan Kelly stands, and I think he can get elected. But the way it is is this, I think he was pretty pissed off the way he was unceremoniously, you know, AK-47 and all the thing that he, he couldn't work with people and so on. He was dumped. And I don't think he's going to do those people any favours. Okay, I want to talk about Eddie O'Connor. And the reason I want to talk about Eddie O'Connor, you put him back in my mind because his great friend was the late Brendan Halligan of the Labour Party, who was his chairman for a while at Board Nimona. And Eddie O'Connor, I first got to know in the 1990s when I was a business journalist. We're talking about him because he died last weekend. And uh, I got to know Eddie when he was in Board Nimona and I thought he was this compelling, dynamic figure with lots of ideas. And then your mate in government, Michael Lowry, screwed him. And Eddie got run out of Bordnemona over a trumped-up expenses scandal. 
And Eddie went on to be one of the most dynamic and brilliant entrepreneurs that this country has ever seen. He built two businesses. He built electricity, then mainstream renewables. He made a fortune out of it, about half a billion euro personally, but that wasn't the reason. He continued to live quite modestly in the same home he had for decades uh, in, in Dublin, Roebuck. And he, in the last time I met him, he did my Magnified podcast with me in my kitchen less than a year ago. And he had full of brilliant ideas for the offshore wind sector. Mm-hmm. And he believed in particular, he has this company, Supernode, which yeah. he put 30 million quid of his own money into to build this network grid in the Irish Sea, which would not only take all the wind energy from the Irish Sea once the deep pylons were up and supply enough of Ireland's needs, but eight times Ireland's needs and sell it all into continental Europe and work it out that you could, when the wind was blowing, you'd have this power, when the sun was shining, you could store mm. it. An incredible visionary. And he always remained, even to my last conversation with him, utterly frustrated by the lack of political foresight and also of the dead hand of the civil service who always went, oh, you can't do that. Mm. Well, first of all, I can echo all of what you said. I didn't know him as intimately, but I've, I've, I remember the first ever onshore wind farm was built in 1996 in Bellacoric and it's still there to this day. and he was the man who built that he changed you know what was peat burning which was you know very much against the environment into completely reorientating Bordnemona but as you say uh, he has been a huge success story and Why were you part of the government that shafted him? First of all, I don't think he was shafted. He, he went, was shafted. He went on to bigger and better things. He, he, went he, was, to... he was too big a figure for the public sector. Nonsense. No, no, no. I'm sorry. He was a man who cut corners. He was a man who was a, a genuine visionary. And he also had a vision. And it's, it's going to come about within the next 30 years. He, sorry, he the, publicly the... criticised the public service in a speech not far from here in Jury's Hotel. And it got attention because I actually got a copy of the speech from somebody else that he had made. And I remember running it. I was business editor of the Irish Independent at the time and it caused a storm because he started criticising the dead hand of the public service. Now he's right and about they, that. And the inertia. And they the decided inertia. to go after him and Michael Lowry as the Melvin Minister was no, behind no, it all. Well, sorry. Sorry. I, so I think, did this come I, up for no, discussion no, no, in Cabinet? No, no, Were you part think, of a government that said, that the, yeah, let's get see, rid of this they, they, brilliant they entrepreneur? There are lots of new terms, all these sexy young Gen Z or whatever it is. And one is ghosting and the other is gaslighting. You have just done a series there in gaslighting Gaslighting, rewriting history. He could not have built electricity without successive government support. No, sir, he I could didn't not, say no, that. No, no, no. He That's actually, not what I implied. He actually has been given VIP and rightly so. Sorry, but he could have done is, all that with Borden no, no, He no, wanted to do it for the state. He wasn't actually interested in making loads of money for himself. He had this vision he that yeah. he would have built that for Borden Amona. Yeah, no, but the, the, the point I'm making is the, the, the inertia in the state sector, like the state sector is grand for regulating, providing public services and all of that good stuff. They are not innovative. They are not entrepreneurial. And, you know, you just don't have the DNA for that. And, you know, where they actually at their best is with joint ventures. And you see that Kielce actually have huge wind farm yeah, proposals. But, but, but anyway, you- he was an inspiring figure. And I'm not going to allow you to sully his record uh, by smearing uh, a government, the rainbow government, in their treatment of him. 
I guarantee you from John Bruton to Dick Spring right across the board, they would be unanimous in their respect of what was an iconic figure. And may he rest in peace. He died rather suddenly, 76 years of age. I know. It was only a recent illness that he yeah. got. But he will be greatly missed. And I'm thinking of so many new generation of entrepreneurs that were benefited from his vision, which was that in Southern Europe, you would have the sun shining and you'd have solar yes. power. And in Ireland, you would have wind power and all this kind of thing off the West Coast. And that will happen one day because there'll be a connected up grid for that. Yeah, and the connected up grid is the big thing because you say about the state not being entrepreneurial, but one of the big failures of the state in the last decade or so has been in the investment in infrastructure in being able to take this new energy from renewable sources. So you have, this is a big failure of Airgrid. It's why he was trying to build the supernode out. And you talk about, you know, the failures that we earlier about with planning permissions for new wind farms in this country. We have not built an offshore wind farm in this country since 2002. No, no, well, it's a disgrace. Well, we've and, got up to 34%. And, and, and you so, made, solar is growing by 20 times. Yeah, but, but so you made the point that we're going to get to this by 2035. The official government position is we're going to get there by 2030. We're not. We're going to utterly fail in that I'm regard. Going, and, and, and that's going to cost everybody absolutely. because of the failure to move across from fossil fuels. I got a text from someone else who enjoyed the podcast to say, and one of the things they like about the rest of politics with Alistair and Rory is that they occasionally dabble into international politics. Now, I know, and people do text me to say, well, Matt can't resist saying that he's the brightest boy in the class and all that. And I'm <laughs> over that, right? But next Monday, the first no, others said it of you. Next Monday, no, just listen up a second. Next Monday, 24 million people in Taiwan are going to vote. And so we have Putin's aggression a Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine and maybe Moldova and all that stuff. The other big flashpoint in the world is what are China going to do about Taiwan? The reason why Ireland need to wake up to this is that the largest company in Taiwan is the Taiwan Semiconductor uh, Manufacturing Company, TSMC. They make 80% of all advanced chips for cars, for laptops and so on. In Ireland, analog devices, Cadence, Intel, all rely on them. Now, the incumbent is a party called DPP for this presidential election, and they are pretty anti-China, and they're quite pro-independence. The opposition party, KMT, who have been in government before, are much more kind of sucking up to the Chinese. So you, which are vast resources, I need you to uh, probe this election because uh, America is now spending their tax dollars on providing military for them. They can't defend themselves. They're cheek by jowl. And in the one China policy, what happened in 1989 after Tiananmen Square, a lot of these big manufacturers moved to Taiwan. We are dependent on them more than we're dependent on Ukraine. So would you go find out what the result of this election is next Monday and find out <laughs> what it might mean for the chips? Well, we might add it in when we'll be talking in the next edition about the outcome of the Iowa caucus as well for the US presidential election. Is that for both parties? Yeah, I think actually what's interesting in relation to the supply of chips was a major issue during COVID and did actually impact on the availability of cars and other yeah, things. Yeah, eight-month delay. Yeah. yeah, delays. And it also had inflationary effects. Yeah. That seems to have been largely worked out now. It's gone out of yeah. the system. So that is no longer... a particular problem for right, right-hand drives because the whole of the continent yeah. is left-hand drive and we had it worse than anywhere else. So it, it isn't an immediate economic concern, but it is certainly a major geopolitical concern as to the continuing... And it, it depends as well what happens in the Chinese economy. Xi Jinping as to how secure he feels and whether he wants to... 
you've been to North Korea, haven't you? Yourself? And, you're, and you're to friend. China and yeah. to North Korea. No, no, yes. but in North Korea, who's your pal out there? I don't have any pals <laughs> no, out I thought there, you made a movie with young, yeah, what's his name? Kim, Kim Jong-un. Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. Who's actually a quite dangerous maneuver. Your first name terms with Kim, I was in the room with him, but they wouldn't let me talk to him. He's on quite dangerous maneuvers at the moment in the way that he's sucking up to the Russians and giving them weapons in return for other things. You know, there's one other, we, we'll get to the international stuff next week and in weeks to come. There is one other thing that I suppose we haven't dealt with on the program today because it's a sort of an ongoing one. And by the time people listen to this, it, it may be resolved, although I suspect it'll take a little bit of time. It's the pay. Yeah, the, the, the public sector pay talks, which we're recording this for you to listen to. This is Thursday lunchtime. Early this morning, the pay talks broke up. The unions are disappointed. The government is maintaining its position. I don't know. You've been through this in the mm. past. I mean, these things always get resolved, don't they? Well, first of all, it's it's big money. I mean, it, uh, 22 billion, 400,000 uh, people. And look, the truth of it is the last deal covering 22 and 23 did not match inflation. No. And they, they there has to be compensation yeah, so, for workers, so, so, doesn't it? So we had, you know, after the crash, Croke Park, Haddington Road and building momentum now. Uh, the truth of it is, Pascal is dealing with the government side of this. Uh, they're now looking for something that's probably ahead of inflation, which is diminishing. Uh, I, I, I think... I, I always resort to human nature. Do you really want nurses and teachers and guardi on strike when people are going to the polls in June and October? No, we're not going to do that. And they will either get an RT solution kicking the can down the road with a sticking plaster of a 12-month deal and leave it on to the next government. But there are no circumstances that it'll... And, you know, they're balloting now Forza and SIP2 on potential strike action. It ain't going to happen. Pascal will, as always, capitulate. Capitulate, or is that just good politics? To look as if he has been firm in relation to not wanting to spend too much of everybody's cash on the 340,000 public sector workers who no longer make up as big a proportion of the workforce as they once did, which I think is a relevant factor but in relation to this. Exactly. And another issue in relation to this. But if RT went well, on strike, no one would notice. Well, yeah, the vibe, but you'd notice if you didn't have nurses and teachers Absolutely. and work and all that. And the in the UK, it's been a huge issue. And actually, which is also very interesting in relation to that, I think, about the nurses and doctors and teachers and guardy, is that if you're having problems filling positions at the moment, you actually do actually and have to increase for a your wages. Allowance. Absolutely. The Dublin allowance is one that really interests me because. Do they I, pay a London allowance? They do. There's a London allowance. And I brought this up. I was interviewing Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, on the last word the other night. And I did bring up this issue. Don't forget to plug the book as well as the programme. That would be who really owns <laughs> Ireland. Anyway, uh, on the last word the other night, Stephen Donnelly. And actually, I was very interested by the listener reaction because when you were talking about earlier about immigration moving up the sort of the the issues that people are interested in. There's no doubt health and housing remain very much because we were inundated with people giving out about Stephen Donnelly and taking issue with the claims he was making and the rest of it. But I did bring up the Dublin allowance with him and he started, well, you'd have to do it in other cities as well. Maybe you would because the cost of accommodation for nurses and teachers in Galway and Cork is way beyond their means. And this is a major societal issue as well, if you think about it. Did Why you see Pascal Taggart came up with an idea for key workers? That. Key workers. Yeah, I know. No, but build, but sorry, the, the, the key workers and their housing provision is actually a good idea. Oh, no, it, it is, but not in public 
green spaces which we need for environmental right. reasons. There's loads Your of brownfield sites. Your leafy middle class biases no, are coming out yet no, again. No, no, I can see a couple of golf courses that I know <laughs> that could be actually. But there's plenty of brownfield sites which could be redeveloped, which would be a good use of existing land to change it, to take derelict areas or to take the need to be regenerated. That's where you should be building. So near the National Children's Hospital, should there's I, loads I'd of space around there. Should I build in the Phoenix Park if you let me? I know, and that's why you couldn't be ever let back into a position of power and responsibility. There's loads of derelict land or land that could be repurposed near the new children's hospital, for example, for housing. I mean, that's why, for example, Heinz has been trying to do this stuff in the South Circular Road and the old John Bluer, uh, John Player Blue site. There's a fantastic amount of land there which would help regenerate an area rather than going off into green areas. But the point I was going to make is, is that we're going to have a potential problem in years to come, and if we're already having it, if teachers don't want to work in Dublin because they can't afford to live in Dublin, they will only want to live in rural Ireland where they can afford to buy a house or rent or whatever. So what are we all going to do then for teachers in Dublin? What are we going to do for nurses? What are we going to do Did for Did you Gardaí? know that Irish teachers are paid more than London teachers, as is? But haven't they got Go higher? Figure. Haven't they got higher expenses to Do pay? They? But Do oh, they really? Well, okay, you've got daughter <laughs> teacher. I know. Is what you're telling me this? But hold on, isn't it the case though that it is a teacher living in rural Ireland will have a higher standard of living than one in a city area because oh, no, they have the and same pay just, and the, lower living so costs. Hotels have the very same problem. People who are kitchen porters, people who are changing the bed linen in Dublin. You know, their cost of living is much greater than if it's Killarney. So I've been pushing Pascal Donoghue on this during interviews. I've pushed Norma Foley on it. I've pushed Stephen Donnelly on it. They don't want to open this door. This is not a door they want to open. Because can you imagine? But somebody else did make the point to me. There are all sorts of allowances in place. I mean, if you're a teacher in a Gwaltoot area, I believe there are special allowances Sure, Mary Lou is promising houses in Dublin be 300,000. Problem solved. Do you really think that? <laughs> Do you really think Sounds that? Sounds good. She's gone up in the polls. <laughs> okay, listen, we better call a halt to this. And uh, we will have a little bit of international talk next week. But uh, we'll be getting close to the Doyle. She'll be back next week, I think, isn't it? We'll have lots of up-to-date Irish political chat to have as well. And uh, actually, you managed to avoid any 20 euro fines this week. Well, I tell you what, it's not for want of temptation. You're self-righteous nonsense. I've put up with so much of it this morning, I need to go lie down. Okay, thank you for listening to us here on Path to Power. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And please recommend to a friend, like all the people who've been texting Ivan to tell him how much they love him. Talk to you the next time. <laughs>